right, well, it's good to be with you uh, this weekend. Dr. Aiken is spending some time. All four of the boys, their wives and all their kids go hang out with grandma and grandpa for a week of vacation. So it's like Aiken world up on the Outer Banks of North Carolina right now. And so we're glad he could get away with family. And I feel like I should have preached from like First Kings or something uh, with a castle behind me, but I figured it is Father's Day weekend. And I got thinking about what is a passage of scripture that just brought me encouragement as a father. And, uh, and so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be there in just a minute. But I love being a part of a multi-generational church. I love that in the room, we have the youngins, future dads in the room. We have grandpas and great-grandpas in the room. And we also have those of us that are still in the day-to-day operations of fatherhood. Now, before you jump on me, I know you older ones are like, you never stop being a father. I know that, right? But there are some of us that feel like we are in the throes of fatherhood. Um, I feel like every day that I go and we have dinner in the evenings and sit around our dining room table, I feel like I'm getting continuing education, um, trying to figure out what half the words that the kids these days use uh, can sometimes be a rather hilarious adventure at our house. I've learned a couple of things. If you have a teenager right now, some of these words may uh, be familiar to you, but I've learned that the word drip has nothing to do with leaky faucets, uh, that cap isn't necessarily referring to a hat. And that to be bussing respectfully has nothing to do with a large vehicle that is in transportation. And I'm still trying to figure out what, what it is when they yell, she, like really loud. Like, really? What is that? Um, if you have some teenagers, maybe one of those words you've heard come out of their mouth before. But we have fun around our dining room table. And uh, every time the older my kids get, the older I feel as well. But you know, weekends like this, it really makes us ponder our role as a father. And it also allows us to really think about the memories and appreciate uh, those memories that we have of our dads and really the impact that they've had on our life. And there's no doubt that, that we as fathers give an imperfect picture at best because we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. You know, I love the fact that we can look at God's word to draw encouragement. I love that we can look at our, at our perfect heavenly father and we can gain wisdom and direction as we stay in the race as fathers and we look to our perfect example found in the Lord and demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ. Truly the ultimate example that we can follow. So I titled tonight, The Father, The Father Knows Best. For those of you that may have seen that 1950s sitcom, um, that name might ring a bell to you. But maybe you're in the room and you're like, okay, I'm not of the male race. I'm not a father in the room. Do I just check out for the next few minutes? I really think that as we look at this passage of scripture, there's stuff that we can all draw from it to encourage us as we all run our race that the Lord has in front of us. So hopefully you're at Hebrews 12, one and two. Would you stand with me? And we're gonna read one through 14. Now one and two, you've probably heard a lot of sermons from. And we're going to cover that quickly, but we're really going to sit kind of in the middle of this text 
text and really look at this and glean out some real principles that we can follow uh, from our Heavenly Father. So let's read together Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Four, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, you have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, that Lord, you would reveal truth to us. And God, as we run this race, may we run in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you. And God, as we really dive into this, reflecting on the weekend as fathers, God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, would you help us to run after you in a way that gives our families a glimpse of their heavenly father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I have three thoughts I wanna give you tonight. Really, the first one comes from the, the most familiar part of this passage, the beginning, Hebrews 12, one and two. And the first thought I have is fatherhood requires enduring focus on Jesus. Fatherhood requires enduring focus on Jesus. Here's a couple of things in those first two verses I want us to really think about as we all run our race, but in particularly fathers tonight. The first thing that I take great encouragement from is what scripture talks about, he says, therefore we're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses. Like I love that idea of cloud of witnesses because it reminds us that we are in community of believers. I have a friend of mine that I've heard him say, and the first time he said it to me, I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I gotta have old people in my life. And I'm like, well, I, I love old people too. And he goes, no, 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 I'm, he goes, I'm talking about, I have, to, I have to have older, wiser people, mentors in my life. And sometimes those mentors are real people. Sometimes there's great books that I read, but it's important that we surround ourselves with wisdom. And right here, we know in the context of Hebrews 12, coming out of Hebrews 11, which is really kind of the faith hall of fame and coming on the coattails of that, we can kind of visualize this picture, this cloud of witnesses. 
But I think the thing that I want us to grab onto as we think about fatherhood is that it really is done best in community. You know, I, I think that's one reason why, and I pray that, you, that as you come and you come to one of our services, and it's great that we're in here and kind of in a large community, but I love the fact that we have ways for us to get plugged into smaller community. I love our band of brothers that happens uh, and as we sit around tables with six or eight guys and get to do life together and encouragement. I love that there's, there's guys in my life, and you're going to hear from some of them, some of their testimony in a little bit, but there's guys that, that I know they've raised kids. Like I'm in the throes of like three teenagers, right? And everything I thought I knew about a youth as being a youth pastor kind of has gone out the window. Well, not all of it, but it's a whole different ball game when you have three of your own. And so a lot of those guys that I look up to that have raised kids and done it well, you know, I, there's a lot of times I pick their brains. Hey, what do you do about this? How do you do that? And I love that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we are surrounded in this journey. We're not alone. And I want to encourage you. How are you plugging in the community? You know, and are you in plugged into a Bible and life group? Are you plugged into Band of Brothers or Refresher for Ladies? And like, we need that community of believers together. Do you have mentors, dads in the room? Do you have older dads that you can lean on, that you know they love Jesus, they have wisdom, that you can call in those moments that you scratch your head? You see, I think sometimes Satan keeps us kind of bound from community because of embarrassment. You know, for some reason we think that the struggle that our high schooler has is the first time in history a high schooler's had that struggle. And sometimes in the fear of, of our own embarrassment, we don't reach out to other believers, but I'm here to tell you, listen, there's great wisdom as we collectively walk through this race that the Lord has in front of us. But notice the sec second thing he says right here as we think about enduring and running in this race, he says, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Um, one of my favorite coaches of all time was Tony Dungy. And uh, after Tony retired, um, he started uh, All Pro Dads. Great website, a lot of great resources for dads. Um, I get kind of their emails and, and read some, some great articles from them. But a week or two ago, I read an article um, and it was entitled, The Five Enemies of Fatherhood. And as I read it, and, and five things kind of popped out, and, and really the five things they identified that were enemies of fatherhood, and here they are, was anger, laziness, distraction, selfishness, and passivity. And really to summarize that, as I read that article and begin to think about it, and in and as they kind of confronted um, us as dads with these five really enemies, and when you think about it is these enemies are anything that keeps us from being God's best version of ourselves, right? And you begin to think about those five things. Basically, the artist said, hey, if you're struggling with anger, if you're bringing you know, the baggage home from work or the tension of that, and you're lashing out your kids in, in anger, the best thing you can do is admit it and ask forgiveness. You know, I, I've learned that as a dad. It, it, you don't always get it right. Sometimes the best thing you can do with your kids is to own it and to say that you're sorry. The idea of laziness as dads, the challenge was engage. Your kids need your presence. Third was distractions. We've got to hold boundaries. Sometimes the best thing we do is turn off the phone and don't check the emails. 
You know, I've kind of tried to get the pattern that when I round our mailbox on 7th Avenue and I come down to our driveway, we've got a little bit of woods back to our house. And I really try to take that, that gravel road back to my house and just kind of leave everything behind as best as I can. Because I know that Sarah and the kids don't mean, need me dragging the baggage and the stress of my day onto them. So we've got to learn, what is it that's distracting us from being all in? And then selfishness, let's be real. It's gonna take sacrifice. When I read over in Ephesians 5 and, and God is commending husbands to love your wives as, as Christ loved the church, listen, you know what that love was? Sacrificial. And the greatest way that we can demonstrate godly fatherhood is to be a servant to our families. And the last one is passivity. Listen, we can't sit back and let this culture raise our kids. Because at the end of the day, if we say nothing, if we do nothing, we're not gonna be happy with the result of what the culture says they should turn out to be. Initiate, study our kids, step into it, figure out how your kids work and how that you can help them be all that God has called them to be. Thought it was a great article. Um, and as I think about those things, I think all of us see how those constantly try to cre creep in to keep us and pull us away. We've got to lay aside those weights. And then he says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. I saw this statistic from the U.S. Census Bureau. The U.S. Census Bureau said this, that there's over 19.5 million children in the United States that's one in four, 25% of children are growing up in a home without a father. We've got a lot of dads that have jumped out of the race. And we could go on and talk about a lot of, lot of the results of a fatherless home and the impact that it has on our children. But dads, I'm here to tell you, we've got to run with endurance. We can't give up. We've got to realize that, hey, fatherhood is a calling. And I have a responsibility to lean into that with my kids. And I know the perspective of fatherhood changes the older they get. And I know for some of you in the room, you might be sitting there going, hey, Kevin, I'm struggling because I didn't necessarily, like I saw my dad give in to the enemies of fatherhood. And you might be struggling with those things. But I'm here to tell you, listen, as fathers, we have got to run with endurance. We can't give up. And there's no doubt the days are long, but the years do get short. We're gonna see that in the text here in just a minute. Verse two says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You know, I think it's really important to focus and to have our focus in the right place. Too many times as dad, we turn around and we look at everybody else, especially on social media. It's easy for everybody to put up their best dad moments, right? And sometimes the guilt and the shame and the, man, I should do this, or why am I doing that? And we can let it beat ourselves up over it. I'm here to tell you, we gotta focus on the one, God the Father who sent his son and sacrificed for us. And here, running with endurance, looking to Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. Not you, but I, I, I like to exercise, I like to ride, and I like picking out pace setters. Like when I'm running alone or where I'm riding alone, it's easy to kind of get bogged down and just kind of maybe not push yourself. And so I always like to pick out someone or if I'm riding in a class or something and someone that's just a little bit ahead, that's maybe pushing the pace a little bit. And I try to pick out that person because I know that if I try to stay with them and pace with them, that it's gonna push me further. 
It helps when we don't, we realize we're not alone. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. He came, God in the flesh to earth. He ran the race with endurance. He finished. And right here in Hebrews 12 too, it says, look to him, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three, consider him. And here's what he says, who endured from sinners such as still against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's funny, in the last month, I've had texts or phone calls from parents who are exasperated with their kids. I'm going, wow, summer break just started. You know what I mean? Like, gonna be a long summer, right? But it's easy sometimes when we get, when we get into the minutia of just raising kids and the minutia of just doing life and trying to get everybody to the right place at the right time and keeping up and everybody's homework and all this stuff, it's really easy for us to grow weary. But I'm here to tell you, listen, I don't run well when I'm looking down at my toes. I don't. When I'm looking right down at my feet, man, I don't pace well, I don't run well. I, don't, I gotta get my eyes up. I gotta see what the goal is in front. And Jesus Christ painted that ultimate example of us, one who endured and for the joy set before him. So when we think about this, fatherhood requires enduring focus on Jesus. Y'all, the one thing I would say that fatherhood has done, it, it has so grown my prayer life because there's so many times I don't have the answers, but I know the one who does. And we've got to keep our eyes on him through the difficulties. Here's the second thing I want you to see from this. It starts in verse five. Fatherhood requires discipline, both personally and to those that we lead. Here's what it says. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? I think in this text, what we're gonna see right here, from five to 11, you're gonna see the word discipline or reprove or chasten 11 times in the next couple of verses. So it's, it's, it's in there a lot. And, and sometimes when we hear, hear that word discipline, we think of it negatively, right? I want you to hear the, the Greek word for chastening means to child train, instruction, and discipline. It's not always negative. It's almost like we've got to change our mindset when we hear the word discipline from being in trouble to being in training, right? One commentator puts it like this. When people think of discipline, they often think of only corrective discipline or punishment, but discipline is far more. It is teaching. God is making disciples through his discipline. It is tempting to complain about discipline and to think it as a sign that God does not love us. Yet God was working for our good in the gruesome death of his son. If ever we doubt God's love because of our circumstances, we can look to the cross and remind ourselves that God gave us his own son that we might in turn become the sons of God. We've almost got to flip our understanding of that word discipline. So here's the thing. I think there's six things we can learn about discipline real quickly in the next couple of verses. And I just wanna point them out to you. Verse five, as he says, hey, have you forgotten the exhortation? Now, what the author is about to quote is Proverbs chapter three. And he's saying, hey, have you forgotten what the word says? 
And that's really the first thing that I, I want you to hear from me when we think about the idea and probably the greatest role that we have as a father is discipline, not in a negative way, but in a training way of those that follow us, of our children. And he says that, hey, don't forget the word. So the first thing I want you to hear is discipline established in the word of God. The word discipline itself is found in over 60 verses of the Bible. Not even chasing down chastening and, and reproving and all those other words that we could add in it. Just the word discipline. And, and I gotta be honest with you, as a parent, like I try to read a proverb of the day because the book of Proverbs is full of wisdom and it has a lot of great wisdom for parents, right? And right here, the author quotes Proverbs 3.11. And he says, hey, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't take it lightly, nor be weary when reproved by him. So don't take it too light. Don't take it too heavy. But hey, rejoice, because here's the thing in verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. So the first thing is, discipline is established in the word of God. And scriptures here, don't forget the word. And we're going to talk about this a couple times, but dad, I'm going to tell you, one of the most important habits that you could make in your life is to spend time in the word of God. One of the greatest memories I have of my dad is waking up, catching him having his quiet time in the morning. Man, I love that. It brought strength to me. It brought hope to know that God's at work in my dad's life. He's spending time in the word. But the second thing is discipline is a demonstration of love. It's what it says right here. In that verse six, the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. Now I know, listen, kids don't always feel that way when we have to train them and discipline them. Sometimes they get frustrated. Well, think about this. If kids really understood those moments when we give instruction and training that, wow, this is for my good. My dad's really trying to help me here. We probably wouldn't have to do it to him. You know what I mean? Like we probably wouldn't have to bring him to that point. But that's part of our role as parents is we got to step up and know, hey, this is really for your good. And you got to trust me. Right here, we also see that discipline yields endurance. And I'm going to flip it as well and say, I believe endurance yields discipline. I think these two go hand in hand. Discipline yields endurance. Look what it says in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. That idea of developing a discipline and yielding endurance, you know this as athletes, as when you're in training, like the first time you go out for a run and maybe you ain't running a few years and man, you're just trying to make it to like the half mile mark and like your chest is, you know, you, you feel like you're about to die and have a massive heart attack and your lungs about to collapse and all those things. And, but isn't it amazing how the next time you go out and maybe it still kind of hurts a little bit and you're like, what in the world? Why am I doing this? But then the third time and then the fourth time and all of a sudden the half mile turns into a mile and then you're a mile and a half and two miles. And why is it? Because it's through the training that you're building endurance. And I got news for you. Like God, the heavenly father puts us through instruction and training to build endurance in us. Remember what James says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you go through various trials, for the testing of your faith produces endurance, patience. So right here, discipline yields endurance. Now, we also see in this that discipline authenticates sonship. 
let's follow along in verse eight. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay, pretty strong. What scripture's saying right here is, hey, the fact that God disciplines you, the fact that he leans in and instruction and training in your life, that is evidence that you're a son of his. I've always said, hey, if you think you're a believer in Jesus Christ and go on sinning and you never feel the discipline of the Lord, that's a really bad place to be. As believers in Jesus Christ, when we step out of line and we jump into sin, we should feel the corrective hand of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if that's not there, then maybe you're not really a son or a daughter of the King. Now, let me illustrate this on an earthly kind of plane here. 10 years ago, when we came here. Um, um, one of the things, kids were all little, we would go to the Coastland Mall back in the day when they had, you know, the play area right there by the food court. And they used to have like a tree house in it. Does anybody remember the tree house? Okay, good. All right. They don't have that anymore. I mean, we don't, right? We don't go play, you know, my teenagers don't play in there anymore. But the last time I walked by there, I didn't see it. Well, I remember this as we'd go down there and get some food and let the kids play. They had all those really cool benches around the outside. And so like all the parents would kind of sit outside and it was just like on like Donkey Kong in the middle, right? And all the kids playing. And I still remember the time that Andy Band, little second grader, had this great idea that he was gonna climb around the outside of the tree house to the other side. There was like five moms all jumping up quickly before I could even get there to like, you might not have been with us. I don't know if I told you that one, but anyways, um, before I could get over there. But the one thing that is very obvious most of the time is that when a kid does something wrong in that play area, you normally can quickly identify the parent, right? Because normally if the mama ain't on her phone or drinking coffee and talking to another person, she's normally kind of engaged or the daddy. And if that child, you know, <laughs> hits another kid or tries to climb around the outside of a tree house or that kind of a thing, the parent runs to that moment, right? Like, because as a parent, you feel the obligation that I've got to correct my kid. Now, I know all of us that had those moments that we'd like to have five minutes to correct somebody else's kid, right? You know what I mean? But listen, as parents, we understand that responsibility. And right here in scripture, that's what it, the Lord is saying is, hey, the discipline of the Lord authenticates sonship. It's a very important biblical doctrine, the fatherhood of God in our life. He treasures his children. He loves us. And he loves us enough to spend the time to train us and instruct us to be more like him. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see about discipline. It comes in verse nine is discipline calls for respect. Look what it says. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Good godly discipline calls for respect. That's why a lot of times, many of us that like to solve all the world's problems will go, you know, when we see a teenager or a young adult acting the fool, we'll be like, man, that boy didn't get enough whoopings when he was a kid, right? Like he doesn't know how to respect authority. Well, normally godly discipline comes with the, the, the result is respect for the one that's disciplining. Right here in scripture, when I read that, 
and scripture goes on here to say, we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits, our heavenly father and live? What the author is saying right here, what God's trying to communicate to us is, hey, you respected your earthly father and that was great and they're fallen and they're sinners. They don't get it all right. How much more should you respect your heavenly father in heaven? When I was a youth pastor back in the day, I always tell the kids, hey, look, how you treat your earthly parents is a direct reflection on how you view God. And if you can't respect your earthly parents, I would probably say your respect for God is pretty crummy. You know what? Walking along teenagers for like 20 years, you could see that. The kids that were flourishing in their faith with God, they had a healthy respect and a healthy relationship with their parents. And the kids that were living in rebellion against their parents, they were in rebellion against God too. Now I know there's always a case in point and an exception to the rule, but I'm telling you, God's saying, hey, if you figured out how to respect your earthly papa, how much more should you respect your heavenly father? Now, here's the last thing that I want you to see here before we move on to the last discipline point. Dads, we gotta ask ourselves, is the way that I'm disciplining my kids, helping them grow in their respect for God and giving them a proper glimpse of his goodness as our heavenly father? There are many times as a dad, in a moment of anger that I've instructed or disciplined my kids, that later the Holy Spirit has just wrecked me over because I didn't give them a godly glimpse. I gave them a fleshly glimpse. Last thing, discipline with urgent dependency. I'm gonna be honest with you, verse 10 is the reason why we're in this text tonight. It's the reason this verse grabbed my heart and what drew me here to this passage. And it says this about fathers, earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Those two, two phrases, I just wanna talk about them for a minute because discipline with urgent dependency, number one, it says here for a short time. If I had a dollar for every time an older parent came to me and said, enjoy them, they grow up quick, right? Matter of fact, I found two pictures I wanna show you. The first one is 10 years ago tomorrow, our family moved to Naples. And we took this family photo just a couple months before we moved here and, and there it is, right? Little Andy Ben sitting on a tractor like Ash, little Jack, preschool Jack, like that was the Taylor family 10 years ago. You know, just like freeze that in time, right? And then uh, that was like Christmas time, I think, you know, the Christmas card thing. I'm sure that's why Sarah drug us out in matching outfits for that. But anyways, and then this was last Christmas. We got away uh, to a little cabin and there we are. And we, Sammy's in the picture as well, right? Um, but, you know, you turn around and that little munchkin that was sitting on a tractor tire is fixing to be a senior in high school. Like, there's no doubt. I don't have to convince any parents in the room that we have a short window. We have a very short window, a short time. Scripture says it. And that's why it's so important that we've got to redeem the time with our kids. I love that principle of as you go, make disciples. I think that is never more beautiful than in the home and in our family. 
that as we go about life, we've got to redeem those moments. We've got to, I've always tried to bring our kids along on missions, things we do and mission trips and serving. Last week we were down at a food bank serving together. Like it makes my heart happy to serve the Lord with my kids. We have got to realize that we've got to redeem the time and it's fading quick. A couple of weeks ago, I got to have breakfast with one of our church planners and we were just kind of catching up and I asked him, what's God saying in your life right now? Mark Rodriguez, uh, we actually got a little fun surprise gonna happen for them during VBS this week, but we were sitting there talking and, um, and I said, Mark, what's God teaching in your life? And he said, man, pastor, he goes, um, I've really been under conviction uh, that I gotta show up more to my family. I said, talk to me about that. He goes, that's that word that God just given me, show up. And he said, you know what I did? He goes, I got a box off Etsy. Now, Mark Rodriguez cracked me up that he said he got it off Etsy, but he sent me a picture of his box. Here it is. And this wooden box he put on their kitchen table and it says unplugged. And in the corner he had engraved on it, show up. And he said, I just realized this, the older my kids got, sometimes at dinner, like everybody was on their phone. Like we weren't talking to each other. And he goes, I was just as guilty. And he goes, I realized something. It ain't gonna be long before they're gonna be out of my house. And he goes, so he goes, I got that box. And you know what I did the first time we had dinner? He goes, after he got it, he goes, I just took my phone out and I set it in the box. Didn't say anything. I just put it in the box. And he goes, then I noticed like the next time we had dinner together as a family, he goes, my kids put their phone in the box as well. And he goes, now my wife works in the medical field and she feels like she always has to take care of the wing, you know, kind of a deal. And he goes, she was the last holdout. But he goes, you know what? Mama saw how much conversation began to happen and she put her phone in the box too. Just one little way to show up and be there. I think far too much, the enemy of distraction keeps us from investing in our children and the next generation. And listen, I'm not speaking to you as somebody that's got it all right. Lord knows I fall so short on so many of these. Right here, I think about this in scripture. Here's what it says. For a short time, as it seemed best to them. Man, I think about this. Like, I don't just want my best for my kids. Like, I want God's best for my kids. And like that phrase that they disciplined as seemed best to them, I'm not you, but like, I feel like I fall so short. So you know what I did a couple weeks ago? I hit out some hero dads in my life. Guys that, guys that I just, they're kind of out of day-to-day operations. Their kids have grown a little bit. And, and I just, I sent them like a five question survey. And I said, hey, give me some input really quick on, on a, just a couple of thoughts. Because you guys did a great job of raising your kids. And, and um, I got some great responses. I wanna share a couple of them with you, just from dads that, that I respect a lot. This is the first question I asked them. What is one or two things as you look back on your role as a father that you feel like you got right? Here's some commonality of responses, okay? Um, They talked about the importance of their personal walk with the Lord, spending time in the word, praying for their family. Um, Another response that was similar was they made sure their kids knew that they loved them and that how much they also loved their mother. 
The third response that had some repetitive to it was uh, they spoke about how their family was connected to the local church, made it a priority, and it wasn't just about attending, but it was about serving and serving together. Another thing, another common response was investing quality time together, showing up. Now, here's where it gets kind of good. I mean, those were good. No, no, those are good. But here was the next question. What is one or two things you would do differently now in hindsight as a father? Some of these responses, these are gold. In certain situations, I believed I should have been slower to speak and quicker to listen. I amen that one, right? Um, Here's another one. Being a better role model by balancing work, time with the kids, and loving their mother in the early years. I was working off a flawed pattern of work first. This is good. Picking my team's battles better by recognizing, listen to this, rebellion versus independence. Whew. If you have teenagers right now, the struggle is real, right? All right. Um, I feel that disciplining showed all my flaws. I mean, this is real stuff here. This is great. I feel like disciplining showed all my flaws. It's where the enemy most often attacks with doubt and with shame. Looking back, I see now that the most effective discipline should be done without anger and should be brief. It should be done in all humility in light of what Christ did for me on the cross. That's a sermon, all right? Invest more one-on-one time. Be more intentional. Intentional scheduling of Bible study, prayer time. (laughs) Lower my volume. Um, Be more patient. Boy, that was good. All right, last one. We gotta keep going here, okay? I asked them this. Uh, What is your simplest word of advice you could give dads raising kids right now concerning the area of discipline? Consistency. Heard that. Healthy boundaries. God always disciplines out of love. And I strive to do the same with our children. Paul encourages fathers not to provoke or antagonize your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Ephesians. Sometimes that is forgiveness. Other times is punitive or non-punitive discipline. And no, I didn't always get it right. Thank you for that honesty. Parenting should be directed toward a child's heart, not simply behavior modification. Catch them being good and tell them how you see God working in them and the fruit of the spirit in their actions. This will teach far more to them than simply trying to make your kids behave to make you look good to those around you. Explain the whys, why the rule, why the guidelines, why the punishment. Let God know your kids are his and he, and you need him to guide you. Then hug your kids and tell them you love them unashamedly. Be firm, but fair, be the head of the home, not necessarily boss. Kids will mimic what they see and hear. Be consistent, never discipline in anger. And I love this one. Never let them wonder if they're loved. Man, just some great responses there. And that was just a sampling of a few of them. 
When I think about this, as it seems best to them, I I thought of this quote by P.H. Hacking. He says this, the earthly father will be limited, hence the phrase as they thought best in verse 10. But it is a responsibility to seek to follow the example of our heavenly father and rescue the biblical connotation of fatherhood from a thousand misconceptions. God disciplines for our good. I think Dr. Wicker used to say all the time, if you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Isn't that our heavenly father? God's disciplining hand is guiding his, is guided by his loving heart. And notice what he says here, that we might share his holiness. I think that's the, if, if I was to say, what is the greatest aim of godly parenting and fatherhood? We gotta wrestle down the fact, are we more concerned about our kids being happy or holy? And sometimes the path of least resistance is just get them happy. But God's calling us to help them pursue holiness. You know, you can't make your kids love Jesus, but you can sure arrange a whole lot of dates. Last thing I want you to get, fatherhood requires a relentless pursuit of holiness with eternity in mind. As we come down the stretch of this passage, we can see that there is a pursuit of holiness and that we've got to keep the finish line in mind in this journey. Verse 11, it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Painful rather than pleasant. May we not run from painful moments. There's no doubt. We don't like pain. We don't like difficulty. But may we rest in the fact that as we, as the Heavenly Father is working us through moments of difficulty, and in those moments, we call it in our house that we're riding the train. And if, if one of our kids is struggling, Sarah and I will kind of look at each other and just go, hey, it's time to ride the train. Like we've just got to stay on this moment, help them course correct. We can't give up. We've got to keep the end in mind that it yields lasting fruit of righteousness. Parents, we have got to parent with the end in mind. What is our goal? Is it producing lasting fruits of righteousness? And listen to this, what tree planted produces fruit overnight? That's the hard thing, right? You labor and you labor and you labor and you plant and you water and you water and you water and you just pray and hope. Do they get it? Do they understand it? And some of you in this room, you've seen that beautiful fruit as your kids have grown up and you see the results of that now in their children, your grandchildren, and so on. Discipline is a means to the end of godly holiness. Now look what he says in verse 12. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Hey, in Jewish literature, this was often used, this phrase, okay, was often used to describe discouragement and despair. And right here, the author gives a cheer of hope. Don't be discouraged. Keep up the fight. Stay in the race. Strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. And make straight, verse 13, the path of your feet. That statement, straight the path of your feet. Listen, we've got to be on the straight path of pursuing holiness. Because listen, parents, adults in the room, we're making a pathway that our kids are going to follow. And we're leaving tracks in the sand, Southwest Florida, 
if you're in north, might be tracks in the snow, but you're, you're, you're cutting a path of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And let's be real, more is caught than taught. And that's why it's so important for us to run the straight path after Jesus Christ. Here's what he says in verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness with which no one will see the Lord. And we've got to put striving for holiness as a goal in our own lives personally. And we've got to do that for those that follow us. MacArthur says, it's like, says it like this, as we run the race, leaving a straight path, showing love to men by peacemaking and showing love to God by holiness, people will see the Lord. As we close, think about all the things we worry about as fathers. We worry about our kids' health. Had a little scare of that this week with one of ours. We worry about their success in school. Man, we love it when they're successful on a ball court. We're the proudest of parents, right? We cheer the loudest, usually my case, big mouth. We hope they find true love. I'm praying for my kids' mates one day that they'll just find godly people to run the race with and serve Jesus. We hope that they'll find a successful career. Like we think about all those things we dream for our kids. We've got to ask ourselves, are we more consumed over their happiness or their holiness? Let's not forget that we're preparing our kids for eternity with the Lord. The data says this, that about 2% of kids will get a scholarship, an athletic scholarship to play college ball. But I promise you this, 100% of our kids are going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I think about all the time and the effort and the energy that we pour into things that aren't gonna last. And we make the things that should be the priority, the option. I saw a friend put out on Twitter just this week and he said the church should be a priority in sports the elective, not vice versa. I love sports, but it's gotta be in its proper place. A pursuit of holiness always comes first. I recently heard it said that, and as fathers, we've gotta take courage and finish strong. Eternity is at stake. I've got a picture of my dad as I close. I'm gonna try to get through this, okay? Put it at the end so hopefully I can just land it. I lost my dad 16 years ago. He graduated to glory. And on Father's Day weekend, I always think about him. Matter of fact, we got a picture one of my favorite pictures of my dad, you'll never guess who that is in the middle. That's my 17-year-old about to be a senior, uh, Andy Ben. there. He was about one or so. I love my dad. There's so many things that I hold on to from him. He loved his savior. He loved his family. He loved spending time in God's word. He had such a heart to share his faith 
if you would stand long enough and he could get it around to Jesus, he would bring Jesus up in about every conversation. I love that about him. At the time as a kid, often I was embarrassed by it. But oh, I've learned to love it now. I love what my dad instilled in us. Always wondered why we had a giant garden out back and we had to weed that stupid thing every day. He was trying to teach us a work ethic. My dad loved hard challenges. He just loved them. Whatever the challenge was, we're gonna figure it out, Kev, there's a way. You know the other statement, like I still rings in my head. Kev, you gotta plan your work and work your plan. I heard that a million times. My dad wasn't a perfect man, but there was no doubt he was a man whose life had been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you couldn't be around him without knowing it and seeing it in him. My dad gave me a glimpse of the love of the father. If you've never experienced the power that God has to change your life, tonight could be your opportunity. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is your only hope. Here in just a minute, we're gonna play a song. There's gonna be some pastors up front. You wanna come down then, we'd love to talk to you. If you don't come then, you just wanna hang out after the service, come down and find us. We would love to share with you the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. But I know there's a lot of dads in this room. You know him. My hope and my prayer is that for all of us dads in the room that hold the title of father, that we will give our families a glimpse of their father in heaven as we run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that, Lord, you would strengthen. Lord, our weak knees, our drooping hands, those moments that we, we stumble in the race, we get distracted, we allow the enemy to creep in and, and pull us away. God, I pray that you would help us to pursue holiness both personally and God, for all my parents in the room, Lord, may we be totally dedicated to the fact that we are more consumed about the holiness and the pursuit of it in our children than just their happiness. But Lord, we know that as they find you and pursue you, there is a joy and a happiness that is unspeakable that's found in you. God, I pray that you would strengthen our fathers in this room. And that God, we wouldn't leave here with a bunch of guilt and shame of all the ways we fall short because that's where the devil would love for us to stay. But Lord, as you cry out in your words right here to run with endurance, we can't go back and change where we've been, but God, from today forward, we can live a life pleasing to you. It's okay to admit that we've been off course. And God, you're always waiting with arms open wide. Oh God, help us to live courageous Christian lives because God, we are blazing a trail for all those that follow us. We love you, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.